How are we doing this morning? Good? All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to dive right in. Um, things that I love about mornings like this, especially even in worship, it's obvious that God's doing something. Um, but at the same time, I just believe in times like that, when, when people are up here and they're responding to Jesus, that there's something greater that's going on behind all that, that God is really propelling people into action um, to really be a part of a mission. And so um, I want to read in Matthew chapter 5, and this is a pretty familiar verse, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 13, and it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love this verse because of the fact that it is stating that we as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, are a city set on a hill, that we are to be the light in a darkness. Now, how are we going to be a light in the darkness if we don't know what we're up against? The only obvious thing to be the light in the darkness is you've got to take the light into the dark, correct? So I want to give you a few statistics just kind of globally of some of the darkest places in our world. The darkest places in our world. And these are according to a census or a statistic that was given two years ago as of 2010. The first one is this. 1.5 million people live on less than $1 a day. 1.5 million people live on less than $1 a day. That means that you cannot even go to McDonald's and buy a cheeseburger with what you earned for that day. One billion, not million, one billion people do not have access to drinking water. That means that they can't just go in their house and turn on the tap or turn on the faucet, bathe, or get a clean, fresh glass of water. One billion people. Six million human beings a year die from malnutrition before the age of five. So that means in three years, 18 million kids never reach their fifth birthday because of malnutrition. And let me tell you something, what is astounding about this fact. That is not just in Africa or India or across the world. That is happening right here in America. Right here in America, in your backyard. 800 million people go to bed hungry every single night. 800 million people. I can't remember the last time I went to bed hungry. If I'm hungry before I go to bed, I raid my pantry and eat everything in it. Now, we may look at these statistics and globally say, man, that's an epidemic, something needs to happen. But oftentimes, it's easier for us to look at these because it compels us somewhat into action to go be a missionary or to give money or to fund things. But here's the realization. There are things going on right here in our own community that would shock you. I've done some research over the past few weeks. If you'd go in my office and you look at my whiteboard, I have been scouring just different resources and different things to find as many things as I can about Jennings, Louisiana, Jeff Davis Parish. And these are some recent 
statistics. As of now, we have about 11,000 people living just in Jennings. So that's not Iota or Eunice or anybody. That's just Jennings, about 11,000 people. 32.7% of those people live below the poverty line. So that's not, they're in poverty, they live below the poverty line. So if you have a family of four people, that means that you're making about $16,000 a year. Trying to pay a mortgage, gas, food, that averages, I would guess, around 300, right at $300 a week. How many of you know that's pretty rough? Especially if you have babies that are in diapers. I mean, I know my wife is constantly with diapers, filling up the grocery basket, and then we got to get to the diaper section, and it's like, okay, let me put this back, let me put this back, let me put this back. It can get expensive. Now, out of all these statistics, I find this one the most heart-wrenching. Um, okay, remember, we have almost 11,000 people in Jennings. 81% of those people live without a father. 80%. So that means 20% of people in Jennings or 19% of Gen- people in Jennings, Louisiana understand what a real family looks like. 19%. You know what that stat also means? That there is a bunch of females in Jennings, Louisiana trying to play the father role that they were never designed to play. So we have... of the people in our own community that grow up somewhat in a stable home. The other 81% of those never know what a father figure is like. Or that mom has never had a husband provide for her. She's trying to play both roles constantly. So as I say these things, these things are compelling, these things... At least for me, they want to propel me into action. Let's do something. And we can get into this tendency of we just got to do, 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 and we got to hand out things to everyone. I don't know what it's been, but as of recently, I mean, our church has been the calling center for food. Everybody in our office will attest to that. Everybody needs something. But here's the thing. Jesus talks more about the poor, the oppressed, and the widows more than he does about anything in the scriptures. He mentions them over 3,000 times. Over 3,000 times. You may hear these stats and say to yourself, okay, as a church, as a body of Christ, we've got to do something about this. And you're right, but at the same time, we've really got to evaluate our own heart. Why do we turn such a blind eye? Why do these things not really affect us on our daily life? And so I've listed four different things, and I'm going to say church, but when I say church, I'm talking about you, the people, okay? I'm not talking about OSC, the organization. I am talking about you, the people. And number one is this. Are we a church in the city? So are we a people that are just in the city? What do I mean by that? Is our goal to get a bunch of people in these doors, share the gospel with them, although that's not necessarily a bad goal, but do we never go beyond that? In our personal walk, is our, is our walk with Jesus just 30 minutes to ourself and it never goes beyond that? We read the scriptures, God convicts us deeply of our sin, we feel compelled, but it never goes anywhere. 
See, the thing that just happened this morning, that's God. When God do, we, we know it's obvious that God shows up and God does something. And some of you feel something. You feel something in your heart. But when you read Acts, especially in chapter 2, immediately after that, you see people that are compelled to action. They recognize their sin. They recognize the evil in their heart. And they say, what do we do? Number two, are you a church? Or are you a people against the city? Does everyone know you for what you stand against? Oh, that's the guy that every time something political is mentioned, you know exactly where he stands on it. That's the guy as soon as worship kicks off and it's too loud, you know he's walking out. And he can't stand it. Number three. Are we a church of the city? Meaning this, that you wholeheartedly proclaim that you love Jesus, but you look so much like the world, there's no light. As Matthew, 20, as Matthew 5 says that we are to be a light in the darkness, a city set on a hill, that why would we dare take the light that God has given us in and put a cover over it? But a church, number three, are we a church of the city those people, they proclaim they love God because honestly, they don't want to go to hell. So they say they love Jesus. But when they're around their friends, when they're around their family, when they're around people that do not love Jesus, they blend right in and you can't even tell the difference. Number four, and hopefully what we graciously, each and every one of us can fall into, are we a church for the city? This is a church that is committed to making disciples and actively engaging their community. Is our relationship with Jesus more than just our prayer closet? Is it more than just 30 minutes, wake up, spend some time with Jesus, go to work, repeat? See, if you find yourself in that situation, you probably also find yourself very... At, 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 on the edge with your relationship with Jesus. It's not satisfying. There's no joy. You find it kind of boring. And it's because there's no action. There's no activity. There's nothing being stirred up. So when I list all these, and when I give you all the statistics, at least in my mind sometimes, the tendency is, okay, as a church or as a people, let's form a missions department. And the missions department will take care of all that stuff. And the missions department will have a bunch of people that live on mission and actively go and live out the gospel. Over the past few months, my mindset has really changed in this area. The church does not need a missions department. The church needs a bunch of people that live on mission. And they understand what their purpose in life is. That we're all called to go, as Matthew 28 says. It doesn't need a department that can departmentalize, hey, well, that's the people that take care of the poor. Those are the people that do the dirty work. It's much easier to rely on the church to put together a serve team or an event that you can take part in rather than sharing the gospel in your own neighborhood or workplaces. I mean, it's easy to show up to go big, right? Because here's what you can do. You can, you can boldly proclaim Jesus and then literally in a week say, I'm never going to see that person again, so if they reject me, it doesn't really matter. Rejection 
comes really easy when you know that you're not going to see that person again. Hey, you want to hear about Jesus? Nope, okay, I'll never see you again. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but it comes down to when you've got to share the gospel with people that you live next to, that you go to work with, and you've got to see their face every single day. So what do I mean when I say that we've got to be a church that is living on mission? What does it mean to say to live on mission? It means this, as Matthew 6, 10 says, we are to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God, that your will be done. And to live on being missional isn't something that we turn on and off. Rather, it is an attitude or a stance we adopt out of a response of God's unconditional love for us. As Pastor Josh said last week, we love others because Christ first loved us. We love others because Christ first loved us. Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the world, before anything was created, I loved you. So that means before you ever had a past, before you have ever had anything to go off of, Jesus loved you first. I don't know if you know this, but the mission here at our Savior's Church is reaching people, building lives. Reaching people, building lives. And now remember, I'm tying all of this in to Matthew 5, that we are a city set on a hill, that we are a light in the darkness. That when people look at you, they understand and they know without a doubt that you stand out. That when you walk on your workplace, and it's not like a weird, phony thing like, oh, that's the guy that's just like every single time, you know, I walk up to him, he's just going to do something weird and try to pray over me or try to cast a demon out of me. I'm not talking about that. But they know that when you show up to your workplace that you genuinely care about their soul. That you genuinely care that these people that don't know Jesus one day will go to hell. And you have the opportunity to share Christ with them. But we refuse because of the fact that we're so worried about being rejected. I mean, I know that's the thing that I fight. I Literally, I'll be honest with you, I was in Oklahoma a few, uh, a few weeks ago, and sharing the gospel with kids is pie. It's easy. It's, it's super easy. Jesus loves you. I mean, you're just telling all the stories, the big God story. I remember, and all of a sudden, I'm sharing with these little kids, and I have some teenagers walking by, and I go over there. It's like you get this sense of boldness. Like, okay, I'm going to go talk. I'm going to share with him. And I literally did this. I'm like, I'm going to go, uh-oh. All right, never mind. <laughs> I go back to the kids. Because there's a fear of rejection. But if we're going to be a light in the darkness, if we're going to be a city that is set on a hill, that when people see our church, they don't just see an organization. They don't just see us as a church. Oh, yeah, that's the church that does servolution. Oh, yeah, that's the church that serves the school. When they see the people, they know that the people in this church are so concerned with the people of this city. That there is a genuine passion to see lost people come to know Jesus. So once again, our mission here is reaching people, building lives. Reaching people, building lives. What is that? 
We go out, we reach people, then we build them, we disciple them, we love them, we walk with them. So here's the the next question that I have. Why is it that we have become so desensitized to the things that really go on in our city? Why is it so easy for us to see certain things and so easily turn a blind eye? Why is it so easy to look at the knees or even hear some of these statistics and say, that's great. And then we can go home like nothing ever changed. Why is it so easy? I listed three. I'm going to spend a little bit on this one. Number one is called prosperity theology. Meaning this, your relationship with Christ has become all about you and what Jesus can do for you. Jesus is no longer a relationship, he's a genie. You call on him when you need him. Your family's in distress. Your health is in distress. So you call on him. See, the reason that my my dad could have joy in all of this is because his relationship was not contingent on if he just needed Jesus. The reason he can say that he has joy and the joy of the Lord is his strength is because he already had a relationship with Jesus and he knows when things come that don't necessarily make sense Whatever you, whatever you can throw up your hands and say, God, may your will be done, good or bad. People assume that God's mission is about us, that everything exists for us. Like, you hear prayers like, you know, you hear scripture, ask and you shall receive. And you take that almost in a sense like, God, whatever I, my eyes set their gaze upon, I want that. And so your relationship with Jesus comes, becomes all about your own prosperity, that God will save me, that God will rescue me. And let me clarify something. God is for you. God does love you, and God does care and provide for you, but there is a motivation that is well beyond yourself. How many of you guys know Psalms 23? Psalms 23, verse 1, what is it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. So let me show you something. This verse in the very beginning sounds like it's all about you, doesn't it? And then you get to verse 3. Why does he shepherd us? Why does he lead us? For his name's sake. It looks like we're the point, but I want to lovingly tell you that we're not. Here's the crazy thing. We've been watching the Olympics, right? We've seen all these gold medals, silver medals, bronze. We're not even a gold medal. We're bronze. It's God, others, then you. And let me tell you why this is the best news in the world. If God is after his name, if God is after his praise, then he's not after your submission, but he's after your joy. He's after your joy. All the commands in scripture are about God lining you and I up for greater joy if we submit our will to his. 
So number one, the prosperity theology is what keeps us from being that city on a hill. What keeps us from being that light in the darkness. Number two, church has become about you. Church has become about you. The worship isn't your style, so you don't enter in. It's too loud, so you're not going to worship. I mean, what do you expect when you have a bunch of young guys up here playing anyway, you know? (laughs) Some of them, I have to hold them back every week. The chairs are not comfortable or you don't like the color, so you complain. That's a legitimate thing that people have complained about here. (laughs) Basically, a good church to you is a dead one. (laughs) A church that never calls you out of comfort or your sin. A church that conforms exactly to fit your comfort. What kind of church is that? What kind of light is that? That just conforms and says everything that you want to hear. See, if you come in here on Sunday mornings and you're offended, we did our job. We did our job. You know why? Because it's not about these four walls. If you think that a relationship with Jesus is about coming here on Sunday, worshiping him, falling down and crying at the altar, you're missing the point. It's so much more than this. And let me tell you something. When you're able to take what you know that is in your heart and you can advance it past these four walls, your relationship with God is so much more exciting. When we were in Waco, they had this church, and it was called Church Under the Bridge. And that is literally what they did. Not just the name. They had a church that was, like, literally under a bridge. So an overpass and people under it, okay? That's not a joke. Pastor's preaching, and you hear, And one thing that stuck with me while we were at that whole experience was one thing that he said. He said, He said, one, he said, I'd like to thank the state of Texas for providing this facility for us. (laughs) And then two, he said, he said, you sit in a metal chair on purpose. He said, we have no air condition on purpose. Because he said, you know why? Because the people in Waco City have a tendency to become so consumed with themselves And he said, I wanted to do everything possible to make sure that you weren't comfortable so you could keep your eyes on the mission. So that you could keep your eyes on the focus, what really mattered. And you know what the crazy thing was? During worship, you have this guy on a guitar, okay, who actually was really good. And then you have all these homeless people on these mics, like, singing. And then you have this guy down here, like, doing one of these things. (laughs) And I'm looking around... You know, because in my experience with church, I'm looking around and then like, okay, is somebody going to like tackle this guy right here just distracting everything? Somebody going to tell this guy on the microphone, this dude cannot sing? And it was amazing to watch the whole thing, to stand back and watch that nobody cared. Everybody knew what they were there for. That they were a church for the city, in the city. And it didn't matter the facility. 
Number three, we major on the minors and minor on the majors. Let me give you an example. I've grown up in a Christian home my entire life. I literally came out of my mother's womb saved. (laughs) Not really, but... And so obviously, for most of my life, I've had Christian friends and people that love Jesus. And I remember one time in uh, just a conversation that we were having about some different things. We're talking about things, and they have this guy who had literally just given his life to Jesus. And he comes in this group, and, you know, when you just give your life to Jesus, you're a little rough around the edges, okay? There's just some things that you just, you don't know. So he comes in, and we're, we're talking, and all of a sudden, you just feel like you hear these things, just words being dropped that would shock some of you. Beep, beep, beep. And, you know, you have all these Christian friends who have literally been so sheltered their entire life. It's just kind of like, you've committed the cardinal sin immediately. And I remember one of my friends, he kind of stands up and he's like, listen, man, you know, we're Christians. Could you just please not curse around me? And I used to think in some way, okay, yeah, that's standing up for the gospel. But it's so minor, because I've never seen anybody do this. Maybe you have, I haven't. You have, okay, the 19% that grow up in, in full families, and the other 81 that don't. I've never seen anybody pass a single mom that is struggling to pay rent and saying, bro, what are you doing? You can't pass her by. You just, you just passed up an opportunity right there. You see what I'm saying? We major on the minors and we minor on the majors. The mom that can barely make it, oh, we'll stand up for cussing. (laughs) We'll stand up for what we believe in in our politics. But when it comes to us actually having to do something other than just using our mouth to say something, that's a completely different game. You know, if you serve on a ministry team here at the church, but you're not reaching out to lost people outside of these four walls, you're being robbed. You know why? Because you think that in that service that you're living on mission. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But if you're not seeing people come to Christ... If you're not seeing lost people being found, then you're being robbed. We are a church in the city for the city. Our mission is reaching people, building lives. God did not send us of all places to Jennings, Louisiana, just to start a church for the sake of starting a church. You know what I love about this church? That our goal has never been, ever, I've never once sat in a staff meeting and my dad's going, all right, guys, how can we make this a mega church? It's never happened. You know why? Because our goal and our focus, as yours should be, is seeing lost people know Jesus. 
And if the byproduct is growing a large church, thank God. But if we know what our mission is to reach people and to build lives, then we don't lose any joy because we know that lost people are being found. But unfortunately, the mission never happens if we're not willing to step outside of these walls. If you're not willing to go beyond, well, I spent 30 minutes with Jesus this morning, and that's enough. And some of you may use the excuse, and honestly, sometimes it's a legitimate excuse. I don't know what to say. I don't have the boldness to do that. You know how you get it? You do it. I'm going to be honest with you. It takes a lot of times of messing up. I've gone to people and like, I really feel like God just tell me and they're like, nope, that's not right. Okay, that sucks. <laughs> You're going to miss it. But the only, re- the only way that you get good at it and you learn to hear the voice of God is you do it. You act on it. So I want to give you a biblical example of the church and the people that we should strive to be. Second Corinthians, if you want to turn there, you can. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll pick it up in verse 1, says this, I love this passage. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And listen to this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they have, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then by the will of God to us. So what's going on here? You have a church who is in extreme poverty. Okay, you have people in that church who are fighting some serious trials. And they go to Paul and they have this other church who's somewhat, and they say, listen, we want to help plant a church. We want to give. And Paul's like, listen, you hardly have anything. You probably should do something, fix your, you know, fix yourself. You guys are in some horrible trials right now. And they beg him. They say, no, Paul, we want to help this church. Life was difficult and hard, but this did not stop the mission of the church. They overflowed in generosity. In extreme poverty, they were still overflowing with joy because they were a church filled with people that knew their mission. What's crazy is they were facing some of the roughest times. If we were put it, to put it into modern day terms, you had people who were about to lose their home. Their kids were going haywire. You have people with cancer. You have people with hardly any money. You can't pay their mortgage. And they're saying, can we please give? And nobody's hanging their head. There's absolute and complete joy because they understood We are a church for the city in the city. Our goal is to be a city set on the hill. We are to be a light in the darkness. No matter what happens, we want to give. We want to give. Now, I want to clarify something here. This is not a sermon to cast guilt on anyone to tell you that you're not doing enough. 
Because you can get into this whole motion of, okay, so now if I'm serving at Go Big, and now if I take part in block parties, and now if I do this, and then I do that, and you get into this mentality, the more that you do, the happier that Jesus is with you. And that's still not true. As it said in Matthew 6, that we pray, Father, your will be done. Now listen, not everyone is going to be called to go to Africa, okay? This is the truth. But what God is asking each and every one of us is to live on mission. And everybody's mission is different. But it all requires us to reach people and build lives. So the way that we do that may be different. But the mission never changes. So some of you, you're teachers. You go to school and you teach. You're mission filled. Some of you are mothers. And you have kids You're mission-filled. You stay home all day and take care of kids and you have neighbors that play outside. You're mission-filled. Some of you guys right now, I know that you genuinely have a burden to maybe do ministry. But it's what you do now that really matters. Remember when I went off and worked in Baton Rouge for about seven months? I thought like, God, what are you doing? I thought I was supposed to be in ministry. I thought I was supposed to be serving at a church. I mean, what, what's going on here? And God's like, look, if you can't be faithful with this, then I don't know what you're doing. If you can't share the gospel wherever you're at, then you might as well get out now. God has called all of us to reach people and build lives. Matthew 28 Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's the mission for all of us, no matter where you are. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In that verse, there's two things. There's a command and then there's a promise. There's a command, go, get out of the four walls, be a missionary wherever you're at. And then there's a promise, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. See, that's huge because when you begin to act out the gospel, when you begin to go in the name of Jesus and you say, I'm going to reach people, there's a promise behind that that says, I will be with you. You're not going alone. So when we, when we talk about all this, the task at hand, it sometimes seems a little bit daunting, doesn't it? It seems big. Okay, um, I know people, I've got to reach them, my neighbors, it's, oh my gosh, what, how am I going to do all this? You know the reason that we're going to Paradise Park? Because we realize with the manpower that we have that we can be the most effective in one area. So the first thing that I would say to you is don't set a goal that is unreasonable that you know that you can't achieve. By next week, I'm going to have 50 people. Probably not going to happen. If it does, great. And I'll meet with you for coffee to ask you your secret. 
Do something that you know that you can accomplish. Here's what I'm asking of each and every one of you, that you would go home today and that you, if you're married, you get together with your spouse. If you're not, obviously by yourself, sorry. And you would ask God, say, God, what are you calling me to do to live on mission? What are you calling me to do to live on mission? Because I'm telling you, church, there is so much more than Sunday morning. There is so much more than coming to a Sunday, crying your guts out at the altar, feeling guilty for your sin, and then going home and eating a sandwich. There's so much more than that. You know why God allows you to have these moments right here at church? One, so you can go, okay, God, is there anything in my heart that needs to change? Is there anything in my heart that does not please you? If there is, let's deal with that. All right, let's make it right. And then he calls us into action. I was discussing this with my wife earlier this week. I was reading, I'm reading through Acts again. Now I'm in Acts 2. Okay, you, you guys remember Acts 1, Pentecost comes, okay? Or Acts 2, Pentecost comes. And they're all sitting in this room. And the Holy Spirit just descends on all of, all of them, okay? And so all of a sudden you have these Romans that are able to understand Greeks. And you have Greeks that are under, able to understand Hebrews. And they're all speaking in these different tongues, and some people in the room are like, dude, this is awesome. The Spirit of God is here. And then there's other people, probably like myself. There's like, what is this? <laughs> this is weird. What's going on here? And then you have Peter stands up. He goes, let me, let me, let me tell you something. Let me refer you guys back to the prophet Joel. Jesus said this was going to happen. And then at the end, he says, listen, it's our sin. The Holy Spirit is coming to empower us. He said, it's our sin that crucified Jesus. And then they ask him one simple question. They ask Peter a question. He said, they say, what shall we do? What shall we do? He goes, repent, be baptized, and then the whole, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately after they're filled and they're empowered with the Holy Spirit, not five chapters later, like two or three verses later, you see them all in one mind, all in one cord. They were selling their possessions, giving to anybody who had need. Holy Spirit empowers immediately there was an action. I would go as far as saying this, no action, no Holy Spirit, just fake. That's the truth. It was an emotion. It was a feeling. It was a heightened sense. The Holy Spirit always demands action. He always demands conviction. When the Holy Spirit steps on the scene, let me tell you something, things change. I believe that this morning that God's calling some of you out. He's calling some of you out. That it's to be more than this. It's so much more than this. It's so much more than sitting in this room. A life with Jesus is the most joyous thing you can ever be a part of. It's the greatest adventure that you could ever take part in. And just when you think you got it all down, you don't. And I love that. 
People like me, I, I just love Jesus because of the fact that I hate it. I like to start something and I never finish it because of the fact that I want to move to the next thing. <laughs> I'm bored with that. All right, let's go to another one. So my challenge for you guys this morning is go home, evaluate your heart. God, what are you calling me to do? Not for the sole fact of doing more, but for the sole fact that you understand that we act and we live it out because Jesus first did it for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we pray that this morning, God, that you would empower us to be a people that live on mission. God, to be a people that are so in love with you. God, that we're willing to do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom. God, that we're willing to do whatever it takes to bring you fame and glory. God, I pray for the ones in here that may hear this. God, maybe they feel guilty. Maybe they feel I'm not doing enough. God, that you would help them to understand that, God, that you are more than enough. God, that you would help them to understand that there is no place where they've gone too far or they've strayed away too far. God, I pray that as a church that you would empower us to understand that we are a church in the city for the city.